Hi everyone! Before we start the show, I wanted to ask that if you like what we're doing here, you might consider donating to keep it moving onward and upward. We have a Patreon at patreon.com backslash Hegelbon and a PayPal at paypal.me backslash Hegelbon. $5 a Patreon will get you bonus episodes, but even a dollar helps more than you can imagine because no cartridge is funded by listeners like you. Thank you. My name is Trevor Strunk, Hagelbun on Twitter, and uh, I'm really happy to have with me uh, CJ Fleck. Uh, you can find him at Real CJ Fleck on Twitter, a uh, friend of mine on Twitter for quite some time, uh, and and uh, now on the show. CJ, welcome. Happy to be here. So you're coming here to talk to us about a game that actually a lot of people have requested I play, um, and and I will someday uh, for the for the blog. <laughs> I've of course played it before, um, as I'm sure pretty much everyone of a certain age has. Um, but you're here to talk to us about uh, Deus Ex, and you're bringing up very particular expertise to it, right? Well, yes. Uh, I am a PhD candidate in political science at the University of Houston. Uh, in particular, I'm interested in uh, American political thought and political theory. So I didn't know at the time when I was 10 when I played this game, but <laughs> uh, there are many things in this game that... Uh, really fascinate me, both from a someone who plays video games perspective and also someone who studies political thought and political action and, uh, I guess you could say, conspiracy theories, although that's not really my area of expertise. Mm. So you... Uh, so as a, as a political thinker, I mean, that basically means, like, you, you're really into, like, Eric Garland and, uh, and the great <laughs> political thinkers of our time, right? Anyone who can put together a tweet storm, I mean, you know, we're talking about right now where we've doubled the amount of characters you can put in a tweet so i mean you're going to save so much space i mean you guys must be buzzing in your department about this this is oh my god this is huge i mean i they're so excited all over the place uh i'm sure those of them you know everyone who uses twitter on a regular basis uh is is very very excited uh to to talk on twitter i know it's it's a favorite obviously of academics to talk about politics at all times Mm-hmm. Uh, considering the liberal academia that we live in, but um, I'm interested to see how 280 characters really changes the narrative. Uh, I, I, I think it, I think it can really do some uh, some some damage, if you will. Here's here's my here's my theory, um, and then we can get off Eric Garland. I know you probably get this <laughs> a lot, um, but uh, here's my theory: uh, it will be the exact same amount of tweets in the in the tweet storm. There will just be more uh, compound insults. <laughs> that's the most important part of Twitter. That's right. Insulting yeah. each other. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so, uh, 
get into uh, let's let's get into Deus Ex. Um, so this is like uh, this is a favorite game of people for a lot of reasons. Um, you know, there there are these the the kind of like shooter RPG is something that's tried every so often. I feel like it was tried with Siphon Filter. Mm-hmm. Um, to some success. Uh, there was a game, and I always forget the name, but it was like Alpha X- Protocol. That's the one. Alpha Protocol was another version of this, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like the one that's always talked about as being like successful, and and I mean, in in some ways prototypical, but in other ways, it hasn't really been reproduced in the same way that say like Metal Gear Solid has, right? Mm-hmm. Metal Gear Solid is prototypical for the stealth game in a way that Deus Ex is still like. It's prototypical, but also the gold standard for this kind of game. I mean, it's such right. an interesting, it's such an interesting artifact in that like people still swear by it, right? Right. Uh, they swear by it, and even though it has not aged very gracefully on a graphics <laughs> perspective. Yeah, it's true. I mean, it's like it's like a, it's a little like Half Life in that way, where like people will still mod the original Half Life mm-hmm. um, and play that, even though. Um, you know, I played through Half-Life, uh, you know, the, right now is basically the first time in my life where I've had a computer that can play contemporary games. So I played through Half-Life much later than everyone else, and um, uh, it was right before I played Half-Life 2, actually, and it did not uh, hold up super well. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, people, it, it's, it, I guess the way you, I guess the way we talk about it is, like, like Deus Ex, Half-Life is that kind of, like, bellwether moment where, like... Mm-hmm. Yeah, look, like this is an important thing. This is an important artifact. We can play it even though it doesn't quite look the same way as it did in the year two thousand. Yeah, what it what it does is much more important than how it looks. That's uh, a good I way think, of saying it. I think um, both mechanically and uh, story wise, uh, there are things in Deus Ex that have you know they've attempted to replicate it uh, both in the storyline and in other different games. Like I said, Alpha Protocol. I played that. It actually, it was actually pretty fascinating uh, of a game. It wasn't great, but it, it, it tried to do that sort of, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And, but no one's really quite matched it. Um, okay. I don't think anyone's really hit on the same nerve. I think part of that is the time when it's made too. I think the topics it deals with coming out in 2000 prior to 9-11, uh, there's a lot of different political realities that, are simply things were different after 9/11. I mean, we can talk about that forever, but things in the world are simply different, and that the fact that the story was written before then, and the the relative—I don't know if complexity is the right word—but the structure of the RBG elements um, to me are incredibly important to the game because in the beginning you're given the you you can accrue points and upgrade your skills uh swimming just don't do swimming <laughs> yeah i don't see why you would <laughs> it's used i mean it's used a few times if you you can use it a few times it's pretty terrible but you're given one upgrade in pistols and there's assorted skills even with the first upgrade in pistols on the first level which uh a little bit of an aside I couldn't afford this game when it first came out. I was ten years old, but I could. I got the demo. Oh uh, yeah, classic. The demo. The demo is simply the first level. I could draw you that first level, <laughs> like straight from memory, right now if you gave me a piece of paper. I played nice. that demo to death. But that's like the uh, that's like the uh, the Doom demo for me. I only mm. ever played. I only ever played the shareware version of Doom. 
Mm-hmm. And until later, I actually like I did a a, a write up with a, a friend. I don't know if it ever saw daylight, but like we played through Doom, and uh, I remember being shocked that there were so many levels. I was like, what? What's all this Doom here? What's what's this about? Like I thought there were three levels in Doom. <laughs> no, there's a lot more. But uh, in the beginning, you start off, and you are you're presented as a super soldier. But you're horrible at aiming, and you're mm-hmm. horrible at shooting. I mean, it's it is true to, uh, I guess, what it says that you know you're only the second level of pistol skills. You're not going to be able to hit somebody from a hundred yards away and knock them out. You know, your aim is going to be terrible if you're moving, if you're not crouching, if you haven't slowed down, that kind of thing. These all come in. These all are factored in. If you are not putting points into particular skills, you're going to be bad at them. If Hmm. all of a sudden you come upon, later in the game, if you come upon a mech and your only option is to hack it and you don't have the points in hacking, you're in a lot of trouble. Now, if you put those points into the heavy weapons skill set, then you're going to be good. But But that leads me into the other thing about the mechanics that I think a lot of people criticize, and rightly so, uh, would be the inventory system uh, with the kind of Tetris arranging of blocks. <laughs> very, very Diablo-esque. <laughs> that was very popular in those days. It was, it was, but uh, I recently, you know, uh, my group of friends, we forced each other to play each other's favorite games, and my friends weren't PC gamers, and we finally, I sat down one time, I was like, look, you, you don't know what Deus Ex is, but I think just play the first level, just play it for a little bit. And this is someone who was raised on Nintendo 64 and the Zelda games. Sure. And he was baffled by the concept of the inventory at the bottom of the screen corresponding to the numbers on the keyboard. Oh, funny. And just the simple act of opening the inventory and looking and being able to rearrange it like a puzzle was just way too overwhelming for him. Yeah, you see, that's something that, like, I, I was mostly a console gamer, but I had some PC games, and the idea of hotkeys and inventory management, I mean, that was, like I said, Diablo helped me with that, and uh, later on, Neverwinter Nights. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I feel, like, very at home with that, mm-hmm. uh, even though, I mean, it's a ridiculous thing to feel at home at. You're right. Like, it's <laughs> it's it's pointless. It's, like, I, it's definitely an artifact of... Um, it's it's an artifact of those old dungeon crawl games. Yeah. Um where like I think probably uh you had that puzzle because like the system literally could not put more pixels in. <laughs> uh so at a point where you're at Deus Ex, it's like, okay guys, we don't have to worry about this. Just like give us a menu or like make it a text interface, do something. <laughs> like you don't have to worry about this anymore. We don't we can lose this convention. It, it's it's something that I didn't realize because I was so used to replaying the game so many times that when I had someone who had never experienced it, it would you know it was seeing it for the first time again and yeah. coming at it from a modern perspective, going, he's like, well, how do I get to the health pack? It's like, well, it's marked three. Just hit three on the keyboard. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. It yeah. seems intuitive to me because I've done it, but if you haven't, there's nothing that really tells you that. And it's not like if you pick up modern uh, third-person or first-person shooters that, like, 
you would have that. I mean, like, you can use the number keys, certainly. Right, yeah. Uh, but they aren't... It, it's not... It's long, long gone are the days where you would have, like, a keyboard overlay or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. Like, those, like, cardboard deals that came with games sometimes. Like, oh, that's, man. <laughs> that kind of thing is long dead. <laughs> it's It's been a goal of mine, I think, one day to get, like, an original cardboard, the big PC cardboard box of Deus Ex, just to, to have somewhere as, like, a, so as cool. a display piece. Those big, I mean, like, there's there's a way in which we're all kind of, as we get older, it just keeps repeating itself, like, time mm-hmm. keeps repeating itself. Um, not, to sound, not to sound all Twin Peaksy here, <laughs> but uh, uh, it's happening again. The, uh, like, people, I've heard, like, older folks or old heads in terms of, like, records and stuff talk about how one of the underrated qualities was that you could see all the art really well. Like, mm-hmm. people could do, like, good stuff with art. And, like... I find myself sort of thinking that when I think about the big PC boxes. I'm like, you could just, like, that art was so, it popped. Like, it could be really bad, but it was, like, bad in a cool way. Yeah. And it's like, okay, wait, like, just, like, you can't, if if you're going to get into how cool the cardboard box looks as opposed to, like, the JPEG you get in your computer, like, you could officially, like, mark yourself as old, which I think (laughs) I'm okay doing. That's fine. Yeah, I think it's an acceptable, uh, at some point, at some age, you just become okay with realizing you're old. Yeah, that's right. So, um, so the RPG elements hold up, but the inventory doesn't. Um, I mean, what else? So, like, what else do you find in this game that is uh, that sort of like rings true for today? Because I think like what's interesting about Deus Ex, and so like this actually just leads into the same question, but it's an observation I've had um, as not a diehard, but someone who who liked the first game. Um, it didn't. I don't think I ever completed it, but I, I definitely played it. Um, the like the um the first game's so beloved and the the love for the game kind of expands as sequels come out right mm-hmm. cuz people hate the sequels or dislike the sequels or find the sequels imperfect in the case of the most recent sequel um they were upset because it didn't seem complete um all sorts of things right and it mm-hmm. never quite lives up to that first game so in some ways that game is still as we've said before, like that gold standard. So there must be things about it that still hold up for today. So what else in there for you kind of speaks to like the cutting edge of today's gaming needs or wants or modes or however you would think about it? I would say the first, I would say there's three things. The first one uh, is the concept that I think applies to, though I admit I have no knowledge of it, that sort of speedrunning community, the mm-hmm. stealth or the no death run um, the ability in Deus Ex, there are uh, many, many options of how to get around things. So, for instance, that first level, which I, ha- I know by heart, uh, to get into the Statue of Liberty, you can go in with guns blazing, you can go around the back and climb in, you can go to the dock and get the password from the guy, uh, which saves you time and energy, or you can pick up the password in the course of trying to kill your way through the door, or you can hack the door... There are many options, and I think what people have done, they've tried to get through without killing, they've tried to get through without dying, and I think these are things that are more of a modern focus. Yeah. Um, the Dishonored I would games, say, for instance. Yeah, the Dishonored games... I would say uh, to like an extreme degree from a game that I'm familiar with, like the uh, the Soul series. 
Oh, for of, sure. Absolutely. Of people trying to get through Soul without dying, and uh, which it boggles my mind. But oh yeah, I mean there was there's a there's a tweet. Um, it was it was in response to uh, I can't remember who did it. Maybe like Tiny Baby or something. But the uh, the um, it was a Kotaku article that said this. It was like a thing where I guess it was the whole stream where this guy got through Dark Souls without getting hit. <sighs> And, like, the tweet was just, like, I'm throwing my computer out a window. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, man, that makes me feel horrible. I've beaten Dark Souls, but I, I got hit and died quite a bit. Yeah, uh, I I got through one and two. I didn't get through three as I was too busy, but mm-hmm. uh, I remember, um, so we'll, we'll come back to this, but uh, I was actually born without my left hand, so I mm-hmm. have part of my arm. I had the same friend who struggled with the inventory system in Deus Ex when I decided to take on Dark Souls, and I beat Dark Souls. I told my friends I beat Dark Souls. He said, I literally thought you couldn't beat it. Not because you're bad at video games, but I just thought you physically would be unable to play that game. Hmm. And somehow I beat that game. I don't. I still don't know how. <laughs> yeah, how do you... So how do you manage the controller in that instance? I mean, Or did you play it on PC? Well, I played it on PC, but I okay. used I hooked up a uh, a PlayStation controller. Okay. Um, primarily, so I usually uh, I play mostly sports games on consoles now, mm-hmm. and save any other gameplay for the PC. Yeah, that um, makes sense. It's it's PC game or sports games on PC are just usually terrible ports. Yeah. Um, I just usually stay away from the left trigger. Uh, okay. Anything anything with like. Your L1 and L2 on a PlayStation controller, they just don't really get used at all. So I remember I played, I had some friends who played Call of Duty, and I'm not really a shooter person. And that's, mm. it's why I love Deus Ex, because I'm not a shooter person, yet I'm still in love with this game. Right. Um, and I remember, I think it was, what was after Modern Warfare 2? Was that Black Ops? That was Black Ops, yeah, I think. I think Black, you're right. Black Ops came out with a control scheme where you could switch like aim down the sight from the left trigger to the right bumper mm-hmm. and that revolutionized my gameplay <laughs> and I got so much better I didn't have to stop moving in order to aim down the sights I could actually like run and gun it was it was just eye opening nice that's cool like I, I like I like how I mean I we could talk about this for a while and I'm sure it's just kind of dull to talk about like the mechanics of it for you but it is interesting like I like how the game, it depends on the, the architecture, like the intention behind the game, whether or not it's playable. Like one of the things I like about Dark Souls, and uh, as I've said many times, I think I said it on the one I just released, um, uh, I talk about Dark Souls too much on this podcast, but because um, <laughs> uh, it's really good. But uh, the the one thing I really like about Dark Souls is like the design corresponds with the difficulty so well. Mm. And like the fact that you can play it without using the left bumper or the left trigger and stuff like that, even though those have a functionality, it, it to me it speaks to, like... I mean, of course it speaks to, like, the ingenuity that you have playing the game, yeah. but also it speaks to the fact that the game is designed well enough that it's like, okay, like, don't use some of the moves we gave you. Yeah, you it doesn't still break. this game. Yeah. it's uh, It doesn't fall apart because you can't master the exact controls they gave you. Right, exactly. Um, cool. So, okay, yeah, so, like... Um, uh, the stealth no death runs for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that seems like something that's especially coming back now with permadeath, with uh, chaos, or sort of like mm-hmm. 
uh, well, chaos is the dishonored thing, but the uh, the kind of like uh, consequences for actions, the idea of like changing the ending of the game based on how many people you kill, stuff like that. Oh um, yeah, that's all very much like in the zeitgeist now. Yeah, and I think that's especially true. Uh, two events, at least, uh, that I experienced on a personal level when it comes to Deus Ex. Uh, we'll get a little spoiler, I guess, but when you meet Lebedev and when Paul's kill switch is activated. Mm-hmm. So when you meet Lebedev, you get on the plane and like Paul's become turncoat and all these other things, story-wise. Okay. Uh, and Agent Navarra shows up and demands that you kill him. Now, I've played through this and you can kill him or you can opt not to kill him and then she kills him and you get in trouble with the boss there's also the option which is a little gamey but I I find it interesting there's the option to actually kill Agent Navarro well before the planned fight you can technically take her out she's not marked as invincible in this Hmm. scene Hmm. So what the the trick that at least, that I've read I did not find this I read it and uh, of course I stole it because I'm a cheater obviously hey right uh, why not you can plant uh, a lamb on the wall and as she runs in it explodes and blows her up huh and there is there's there's dialogue in the game for you doing something like this at this point in time it's not game breaking it, it was planned for that to happen. Really? Like, there is dialogue for you to kill Agent Navarro on the plane with Lebedev. That blows my mind. The other one, and this is something that really embarrasses me as someone who says they love this game. When Paul, your brother's kill switch is activated, you meet him in his hotel, you meet him in his hotel room, and he says, go, go out the window, get on the roof, get to the helicopter. There's agents busting down the door. And they're high-level enemies. They're, they're powerful enemies. You can actually fight the enemies, and if you kill all the enemies in the hotel and go out the front door, Paul lives. Huh. If you go out the window, Paul dies. Now, I learned you have to go... You can't just kill everybody. You have to kill everybody and go out the front door. If you kill everybody and go out the window, it triggers Paul dying. But hmm. if you go, if you kill everybody and go out the front door of the hotel, it triggers him living, and you find his li- you find him living later on in the game instead of his dead body interesting it doesn't make too much of a difference but it's something that's not remotely hinted at i mean you show up to his room and there's mib kicking down the door and they're they're you know especially that early point of the game very difficult enemies unless you have a stock of explosives and a plan and you know you're going to do this no one would think to do that they just say all right he says get up go leave out the window go to the helicopter i'm just going to do that you can actually do that and he'll live Huh. That reminds me of uh, another game I mentioned too much on this podcast, uh, Spec Ops The Line, where there's a there's a scene where you find out later it's like all a hallucination or whatever. But like uh, there's a scene where you have to kill uh, there are two American soldiers hanging. Um, you have to kill one um, and you're not you're like you can't you're surrounded by enemies. Uh, and if you shoot the enemies, they all start shooting at you and they're infinite. You can't win. So you have to you have to make the choice. And I just find it so interesting that Deus Ex basically says like, yeah, okay, you got to make the hard choice. Or, I mean, you could also fight off all these enemies, I guess. Yeah. And like it actually makes that plausible, which is like it it's cool. It it's a it's a level of freedom that I think games nowadays are kind of afraid to give to their 
um, uh, their players. Like, I think the one game that I can think of that's doing a good job with this now is... Um, I'm playing two of them, actually. I'm playing Fallout New Vegas, which mm-hmm. gives you a ton of freedom. That's an amazing game. Yeah, and um, and and the new Dishonored game, which uh, friend of the show uh, Hazelman Fortin um, wrote um, or helped write, or was on the team to write. Uh, I don't know how many people were writing it. I don't want to. I don't want to make her mad at me by <laughs> by miscon- misconstruing it. But uh, she had a, a very large hand in writing it, and um, it's cool. You get you get all the options. You could do whatever you want, and it's like that's still a rare feeling. Like to feel like oh, there's no boundary on me. There is. Um, there's another point, and I think this is what really drives it home for me as a as something that's important in Deus Ex, is there's a set of characters, the Rentons, one who owns the hotel, and his daughter who's out in the streets. Mm-hmm. You could meet either one of them before the other. You know, if you see if you meet the father first, he says, "Go find my daughter." If you meet the daughter first, she's getting bullied by this you know low life character and you can opt to be violent if you want or however you want to deal with the situation but you can you can attempt it in a different order each time and this is something that has no effect on the rest of the story like there are there are multiple lines of dialogue for multiple outcomes and multiple branching i guess you could say decision making processes yeah for something that is so minor there's there's so much thought put into the writing of this game that really is what sticks with me that there's these there's these options from a gameplay perspective but the fact that they plan for them it's not like you know you broke the game and you skip it and you skip through a part or whatever something like that like that kind yeah. of freedom no this was planned there they recorded audio dialogue for this it reminds me a little bit again of like the the things in souls where it's and it's different because like it's Deus Ex is such like a story front front game or like a fronted by story game. Like it's all right there. Like mm-hmm. that's one of the things you're. I mean, if you don't like story, you're probably not going to love Deus Ex in some ways because like obviously it has a very that's a big component. Yeah. Um, but like Dark Souls, I feel like kind of puts it in the middle ground where like if you want to seek it out, you can. If you don't, you don't have to. But in in a similar way, like there's all sorts of characters that will or won't be in certain places. That if you talk to, will be there, they might not be there later. It doesn't impact the story or your ability to beat it. It's just like these characters may or may not show up uh, if you do certain things or if you trigger certain events. And they have like fairly robust stories, including voice acting and stuff, mm-hmm. that is just there if you find it. And if not, then like it's just something that went away. Yeah. Um, Alpha Protocol, which we mentioned earlier, is extremely divergent with that. The gameplay on that game is a little rough, but the story and the decision-making processes in that game are really, really complex. Mm. I mean, if you pick one person over another, you you don't even meet the other person, or you end up killing them later. I played through wow. it. It's, 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 if you look at like a wiki on that game, it's insane how many different like you know combinations and permutations there are of outcomes of different interactions you have with characters. And it, it has a little bit of that Mass Effect conversation wheel. Yeah. So you've got the addition of these choices and these options, and then you've also got how you deal with them changes things and their relationship to you. And it, I really wish that game was a little bit better because it felt like a <laughs> very good spiritual successor to Deus Ex, but it didn't. It just it it, it I I I'm I'm big on the distinction between good and great. Yeah. There's a distinct line 
when something goes from being good to being great. And learning to distinguish what's good and what's great is an important thing, I think, in life in general. But especially when it comes to something like analyzing video games, knowing when something could be better or when something is achieving what it's set out to do. Yeah. No, I agree. And I think like I think what's kind of interesting about uh, Deus Ex, like in the games we're talking about, is that one of the elements of its greatness and again it can't it's not the whole thing because it still is living it's not it's not like one of those games where you're like oh yeah that was important but no one plays it anymore because like how could you possibly play it um but it's the first time that like this kind of intense story branching really was like in a popular game Mm -hmm. i mean there's story branching before it of course but like the level of choice and optionality and like uh, you know divergence uh, really sort of is born and succeeds it in like you know you say it's a alpha protocol could have been a spiritual successor I mean clearly it's thinking of Deus Ex in what it's doing Definitely. like it's clear that that's like obviously an influence and something being that clear of an influence I think is something that goes into it being great yeah oh that for sure I would completely agree. Um, so we got, let me see, we got diverging storylines, stealth, no death, and, uh, the kind of, the, 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 the hidden options, basically, like the, the idea of there being tons of optionality. Mm -hmm. Um, so that all adds up into why it's a great game. Let me ask you this. Why does it pique your interest as a political scientist? Well, I think there's a lot of questions. Um, we'll get to the more obvious ones second. The first one that piques my interest uh, is something that's... They kind of address it in the modern prequel sequel mm-hmm. with Human Revolution and the newer one whose name I can't remember off the top of my head. I forget what the new one is called. Um, yeah, I do too. <laughs> the, the split between mechanical augmentations and nano-augmentations as they're placed in the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a running undercurrent if you interact with the characters and you talk to them, because a lot of Deus Ex, you get a lot of backstory in a very similar way. We're going to keep coming back to this, and I, I think it's fine. The comparison with the Souls games. Mm-hmm. Uh, with Souls, it's lore, but I yeah. think with Deus Ex, it's background. But you only get that background if you seek it out. There are many newspapers to read. There are many books to read. There are conversations to have with characters. And one of the kind of... Um, I would say struggles that this game should, like describes or shows is this confrontation between the original mechanical augmentations and the advancement of nano augmentations. So your player character has the nano augmentations. You look like a normal human being other than your vision is augmented. So you wear sunglasses and look super cool in your trench coat. <laughs> sure, <laughs> of course. Why not? You There's a distinct and uh overt in some cases tension between you and characters who have physical mechanical augmentations and mm-hmm. someone with disability it really intrigues me because there's that question of would you give up a part of your body or would you improve your body mechanically for some sort of gain yeah it's kind of like it's it's sort of like a um, a more fantastical version of uh, the the question of like cochlear implants. Right. Yeah. Um, so did that? I mean, did that do something for you in terms of like representation? I, there's not. I mean, there are games where people have bionic 
there's bionic commando. Like yeah. there are games where people have bionic arms or bionic legs or, or things like that. But I, I'm struggling to think of games that actually frame it in the sense of disability. Um, so did that do something for you in terms of like representation? Was that something that was like resonated with you, or did, or was that just sort of like an interesting question? It seemed like it resonated in the sense that there are always. So I don't I don't use a prosthetic arm. Um, okay. I've I've looked into it, but um, I I wore one when I was a child, and then I stopped at about age six because of just I think social pressures, and I just learned to adapt without it. Um, what really struck me in the game are the older characters with mechanical augmentations. When you interact with in a major basis, and there are other characters you interact with on a minor basis, that there's in their case is an overt resentment that they've been replaced, they've been updated, and they're not getting those updates. It's almost like you have an old cell phone and you're not getting the operating system uh, updates. You know, you're, right. you're not getting the new iOS, you're not getting the new Android uh, because you're, it's, your parts are just too old. And these hmm. these people are they're they're old and mechanical augmentation. They're they're not what's hip and cool anymore. And so they're mm-hmm. left behind. I recently went and I investigated. I wanted to see what if I could, you know, get a prosthetic. I wanted to learn how to play golf just because I don't know. I, you know, do these hey, things not? in life. And they showed me. I was used to when I, the last time I had been in, uh, exposed to these things when I was a kid. Uh, the newest the newest concept was myoelectric, so it senses muscle movements and then reacts to those muscle movements to determine different things the prosthetic can do. Okay. Well, nowadays, you know, they, I go to a very high-tech, you know, prosthetics place, and they show me these options. They have one. It can do five settings. So depending on what muscle movements you do, it can do five different movements. But you can change what five movements it does up to about 45 different options, hooking up your arm via Bluetooth to your phone. Whoa. So you can change it from like grasping a baseball bat to clicking yeah. a mouse with your phone. Wow. That it's it, I think it it really reminds me of that divide in Deus Ex between the nano augmentations and the mechanical augmentations where we have these simple when I was a kid it was it could open and close when you moved your muscles and that was awesome. And nowadays mm. it's like, oh, I need to click a mouse, let me hit a button on my phone and then I can I can click a mouse. Oh, I need to like hold a knife when I'm, you know, cutting onions for dinner, let me hit a button on my phone. Yeah. It's completely different. It's really interesting. I mean it's there's a you know, I, uh, someone mentioned this in um in relation to Nier Automata, which is another game that actually recently thinks about um, thinks about sort of like being human or being you know part human or something like that quite well. Um, in not in exactly the same way as Deus Ex, because there are no humans in the game really. Uh, but um, and that's not spoilers. I just I, there aren't <laughs> there aren't any on the, on in, on the scene um, is what I mean. But the um, the there's a character early on who um, has a ship of Theseus problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, people mentioned, like, someone mentioned this on the podcast, it might have been Chris Person, uh, that the, the, the first person, the first quest you sort of enter is this guy who's like, yeah, like, I can't fix my leg. My leg's broken, so, like, I need these things. And you go on a fetch quest, you get mm-hmm. the things, and you bring them back, and he goes, 
yeah, thanks, here's your reward. And he's like, but you know what, I don't really want my leg to be fixed. This is the last original part I have of me, and I don't I don't know who I am if I lose that part. Mm. And, like, there's there's a real, like... I mean, some of that bitterness or some of that, like, frustration, I think, is is also, like, this idea of, yeah, do you replace it? Like, is 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 the does the prosthetic actually become part of you and, and especially in the Deus Ex world like you have this mechanical thing attached to you is that now you or is that something else or like where do you stop and it begins and like the distinction I think is so fine between that and the nano machines that you sort of get to this moment with the nano machines and you're like oh that's invisible like that's something yeah. that you don't have to actually have that conversation and that that seemingly would produce like a ton of resentment too I think to get a little a little bit off but there's Please. there's um you know there's always a uh, like a a distinct difference between visible and invisible disabilities mm-hmm. you know we can talk about any sort of mental health issues or any sort of you know mental disorders or you know people have anxiety people have depression bipolar disorder you those aren't visible you know mm-hmm. for someone like me it's obvious like you can see my arm. I'm not going to hide it. If I need to hold something, you're going to see my arm. Right. If the nano augmentations, you can, at least in, you know, we're working within the world of Deus Ex, you can't really see them work. Mm-hmm. You only see the outcome of them, but you certainly see the mechanical augmentations. They are definitely there. You can see in the character models that someone has had their arm replaced where their eyes are, you know, mechanically augmented and their face is deformed. Uh, it's it's that visible versus invisible difference I think a lot of people struggle with um, on a daily basis. Uh, and it's one that I certainly struggle with and understand. I, I can easily, not really identify, I guess, but I can understand that feeling of being different and looking different. I think the game does a really good job of, if you seek it out and you talk to the other side characters and you do a lot of reading, you can see and understand that through the game. That's interesting. And then there's also like, uh, you know, I I deal with depression and anxiety, nothing. I mean, I would I I don't want to like to, to steal a Chapo phrase, I don't want to steal Valor uh, from people who have, like, you know, problems that are, are far more serious. But, you know, I, I struggle with it. I, I take things for it. It's one of those, like, invisible problems. Um, and what's what's kind of interesting about the way Deus Ex approaches it is it provides a sort of utopian solution for those, as you say, like, non-visible problems. Mm-hmm. Where, like, in fact, like, the, the counterpoint to, like, oh, you don't see the nanomachines working is, you know, if I'm becoming anxious or someone is is acting erratically because of uh, a mental illness they have um it's very easy to sort of say like why is that person doing that and then feel like you know worried because like oh there's no actual explanation for what's going on here this is this is erratic this is unbelievable Mm -hmm. and what deus ex sort of does there is it is it flips that and it says like okay now we can fix that and make you better and no one's going to know what's happening underneath and it turns that sort of like extreme that like negative element of invisible uh, disability into something like oh now it's just invisible ability now now you can be a superhuman but it it still leaves the divide right it like definitely the, does. the invisible visible is still the divide and that's like so fascinating that it would it would make that political choice mm-hmm. uh and it, it it is a political choice especially 
for the time period when it's when it's written and made. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's it's not couched in the current movement, uh, many movements of awareness and understanding that we have in today's society. I mean, this is two, the year 2000. These are not... Oh, yeah, different world. These are yeah. not pressing, pending things, but I think they really come out uh, in the game anyway. Yeah, and it speaks to, like, the political uh, and, and sort of, like, cultural attention of the game that... And, and you're right, like, it's pre-9-11. It's not concerned with necessarily the same issues of, like, oh, you know, precarity, borders, terrorism, in the same ways, that it can, like, it can think about this and be like, yeah, you know, we're making a game about cyborgs, but (laughs) there's something actually, like, theoretically and politically and, like, socially interesting about this cyborg problem that, like, we can examine here. Yeah. That's cool. Like, that's that's very... It's it's more thoughtful than you'd expect from... A, certainly a game from 2000 and, and even a game today, I think. Yeah, there's... The thoughtfulness is something that I think that draws me back to the game. Um, like, we'll talk about momentarily when it comes to the, the politics of it. It's... It's very well thought out and it's very plausible. Mm-hmm. You know, the... Uh, I wouldn't say that this, the separation between mechanical and nano augmentations are put as people being to, like coming to blows as they are in the newer games, but in the original, it's put as a very subtle sort of simmering resentment and simmering anger that might eventually be a problem, or there's something there that people don't really talk about. I think it really represents and shows and sort of mirrors the problems that we have in real life i think that's where you get into that discussion of video games as art uh when it starts to mirror real life in right. a different way you know you you know it's 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 conveying a message almost yeah and it's doing so without referring explicitly to anything in the real world like it's not just like i'm, I'm thinking of games I, I guess i can't think of one immediately but it's like it's telling a story that reflects onto the onto the world, but doesn't actually need the referent of the world to, mm. to mean something. Yeah. Um, so talk to me a little bit about about like the explicit politics and the plot of this game, because we talked a little bit about about this previously, and you sort of hinted that you'd go into it a little bit more. Um, I'm interested in your take on the story, because of course, like I'm not. I, I have my own PhD, but it's not in political science. So like, <laughs> well, I'm not there yet. I, I can't. I can't, no, I can't make any promises. But you're closer than I am. So, 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 talk to me about it. Um, what really? Uh, so, I love American political thought. I love the writings of the founders. Um, but I, I have a knowledge of working knowledge of American politics in the current day as well. Um, what fascinates me about this game, from a story perspective, and something I learned to appreciate as I got older and started studying politics, is again this concept of plausibility but it includes every possible conspiracy theory Mm. it's every conspiracy theory at once there are different groups conspiring to run the world and they're all doing it at once and they're all not doing the best job (laughs) it's it's just it's uniquely human they have humanized the conspiracy theory they have taken and made something that is normally in my opinion used to describe something that is otherworldly or all-powerful omniscient that kind of thing you know the illuminati people running the world have been you know pulling all the strings sure and it turns them into average human beings who are doing that but also failing at it Hmm. 
you have competing groups trying to run the world, <laughs> which is a terrifying concept. And when you read the backstory, when you read the newspapers, you read about the downfall, how the United States is crumbling and how the cities are in all kinds of ruin. And I guess there's some plausibility in, in you know, the plot of the uh, the Great Death decimating the population and mm-hmm. affecting the economy. Right. Now, I'm not an economist, so I don't know how that could go. But I think... <laughs> nah, sure. Well, all, economists are just guessing anyway. Don't worry about it. Economy is religion. I don't know. It's, everyone just assumes things, <laughs> and, it, and there's charts and graphs, and we just make it pretty. Um, I really, really enjoy that humanization of something that is normally alien and separated from regular society. That these groups that are normally placed as being above or being better than or being smarter than the average person are actually not that different. There is, mm. It's distinctly human. They are average people trying to do, trying to run the world. That's fascinating. I mean, and it's, it's, there's something very plausible about that too, where like, I think the, the central critique of conspiracy theories that I see is like, well, I mean, the government can't organize X. How do you think they could organize the whole world? Um, and like, I think we're too hesitant to say, uh, they probably could, but badly. Right. right? Like they, they could do it. It just wouldn't be very successful. Um, and I think that's like that's a super interesting answer. Uh, it it really speaks to me as someone who studies the structure of government that there are attempts to kind of justify the reorganization of power in American government and the emergency powers and all these different things that happen in the course of the story. Right. And those are on the barely plausible line, and I think those are a little bit less so. I think the way things happen, perhaps in as great an emergency as something like a massive epidemic that the game posits, I think it 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 could be. I don't I don't think it's impossible. You know, I think when you read about things that happened uh, during the Great Depression, um, there were a lot of things that radically changed American government. Yeah, uh, I think it it could possibly happen. But it's that plausibility and that it's just believable enough. It's it's out there and it's definitely not, oh, well, this is just what's going to happen when the world collapses. You know, the Illuminati is going to take over and everything's going to be terrible. I think one of the descriptions for Deus Ex is it's set just before the apocalypse. <laughs> So the setting places it right before everything tips over the edge and becomes absolutely chaotic and apocalyptic. Right. That difference is plausibility. Is It's placed in a world where things are believable. It's definitely possible that there is a group trying to run the world. It's definitely possible that there's a splinter group of that group trying to run the world, and they're much more psychotic than them. And they're competing with each other. And there's also the group that used to run the world, but they don't really run the world anymore. And they're competing with them. And so there's all these different groups competing for the control of the world. And they're not doing a great job of it. I mean, it really, yeah. it, it, it's amazing to me 
how you can and how they manipulate American government to to demonstrate oh the president's functionally a figurehead and he doesn't really have any power and the head of FEMA is actually really in charge and you get to that point and you think well I guess maybe I could see that and that kind of thing but who knows grander, why not? <laughs> yeah yeah I don't know the, but on the the grander scheme is where it really gets interesting hmm. from from that worldly perspective of could you really have people based in the United States trying to control the entire world and trying to control foreign governments and trying to unite everything? I mean, you probably could. You probably could. Would they be successful? That's the question the game asks. Hmm. And what I like, I mean, I think, like, the other thing I like so much about the way you're describing it is, like, it's not so, it's not totally reliant on plausibility, although that's, I think you're completely correct to, like, kind of locate that as a central major point. It's also, like, commitment to it, mm. right? Like, it's a commitment to the whole story. It's a commitment to the framework of the story. Definitely. Like, the the ideas, like, they just, they, they commit to them fully and tell the story within them. And I think that's, like, that's an underrated thing. There's when you look at when you look at the endings of the game, um, you know uh, when you get when you get to the last level and you get your three options of what you can do. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a, I guess it's a little contrived that they all happen to be in the same place, that kind of thing. It's not truly branching in that respect, I guess. But we'll forget right. we'll forgive them. It was only two thousand. Um, they really are separate. And distinct, and they all send a message. They mm. all stay on a particular message, and they each end with a quote, which I love, which I think is great. But they all stay on that, and they all send a particular message. They say something with the ending. Your actions at the end of the game to actually, you know, procure this particular ending may not be of any consequence. You know, kill the big boss, or merge with the AI, or send the world into a new dark age which personally is my favorite ending. It's a fun ending. Um, But they mean something. Sending the world into a new dark age completely erases the plausibility and the storylines we're talking about. It resets the whole thing. It presses the reset button on the map. If you merge with the AI, you've transcended those human issues you've transcended the concepts of the illuminati majestic 12 you've gone beyond them you've seen the issues of politics and the squabbling of politicians and you've decided that we're going to move beyond it we're going to walk with nano augmentation and be something better mm-hmm. that's that's a commitment to an idea to an ideal really yeah, and a commitment that is brave enough to undercut the rest of the story, right? Like, it's brave enough to say, like, yeah, we, we spent a lot of time crafting this. Um, if you choose this option, it's also the realization that all that crafting, all that thinking, all that structure uh, is, is of course, in the end, nothing. Meaningless. Yeah. It's... I... I... I always find myself getting to the last level in my replays, mm-hmm. and I usually don't. I usually don't finish that last level because I can never. I've played through every ending. I know how to pick every ending, 
But when mm-hmm. I replay the game, I just get to the end and just appreciate the fact that there's a choice there and that there are these well-constructed choices for me hmm. that fit potential narratives, the narrative of the whole story. Yeah, it's, 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 that's kind of beautiful because it's the, it's the, it's the difference between politics and then the representation of politics, right? Where like good political literature represents the commitments one might take in the, in the system, um, that the system is never actually going to give you as legible choices. Mm -hmm. The, the way the world works and the way people act whether you're talking about like rational choice theory or something, how politicians are going to work in certain circumstances, that all gets put to the side. Mm. And there are these bigger ideas at play. I think it feeds well into my wonderful undergraduate decision to double major in political science and philosophy, which definitely gets you jobs. Oh, Um, those are the two most, I mean, you look at those lists, those are the two biggest ones. Um, why aren't you like a CEO? <laughs> I don't know. I've just decided academia is a much more fun place to be. <laughs> I mean, that's not untrue. Um, but they, it's unifying in a way, and it, it wraps up the narrative and kind of goes beyond the politics. I think mm. it sets up such a realistic and such a plausible world of politics where you read those newspapers and you read those books and you read the news bulletins and you think, I can see that, and you're interacting with characters and they have believable intentions. They have, I mean, they have, you know, I'm going to rule the world. but <laughs> Believable enough, yeah. Believable <laughs> enough, but there are other characters that have simpler, a little bit more nuanced ways of doing it. Hmm. You know, there's... Uh, the group that wants to run the world but kind of from behind the scenes and there's I'm going to rule the world and be ruled an iron fist and that that's a little bit you know cliche but the yeah. other two and especially like I said the, the new dark age ending where you just sever communication lines and send people back in time in a way and essentially reset their politics mm-hmm. how they interact with their governments, how they interact with elected officials, that all changes. But it it hmm. somehow still makes sense in the grand scheme. Yeah. In the story overall, it still makes sense. I think what I like about the endings to the game are they're not they are not overly ridiculous. They are distinct enough to be worth your time to pursue each ending, I think. Uh, I guess that was the criticism of Human Revolution was essentially you where was it Mass Effect where it was like three different colored skies there were, there was no difference to the ending really That's funny besides yeah, like the sure. color of the sky mm-hmm. these have ramifications yeah interesting and then of course the second game just ruins the whole thing by just saying all three happen at once which doesn't make sense so it's uh... oh, man. <laughs> Wow, that's why everyone ignores it. Um, it wasn't that bad a game, I'll be honest. But. Well, yeah, but it's just like it starts with such a bummer. Um, well, that's great, man. That's that's a that's a that's a lovely ending. I think that's in a lot of ways is a is as lucid. And you didn't know you were doing it, but you were. It's as lucid an understanding of like political 
narratives and and literary understanding politics through a literary uh, lens, um, you know, vis-a-vis my my favorite guy Lukacs, here <laughs> uh, Lukacs, but other other people too, um, as I've heard. So that's that's really good. I like that a lot. Um, yeah, you, you know, there's a reason you're in a PhD program, and it's uh. <laughs> It's definitely not random chance. Oh, uh, please, please do not remind me of probability. It's the last thing I need. <laughs> um, so uh, before we end, is there anything else you want to say? Anything we left out? I think we covered all of it. I mean, I it's a game that's near and dear to my heart, and one that kind of my appreciation of it evolved with my as I evolved as a person. I think hmm. that's something that really shows the staying power of the game. And how complex, uh, both complex and complicated. That's another really good distinction, I think. Very good distinction. And I think yeah. this game covers both bases very well. Hmm. Yeah, I, I think like if, if anyone was uh, wondering whether they should pull the trigger on a uh, a too late playthrough of Deus Ex, like if they missed it, um, I think we've we've certainly convinced them. As long or as they get as long as they get one of those uh, graphics packs, that really helps. No, okay. Um, I'm sure you can find them. I'm sure there's there's easy mods. Um, anything you want to plug? And at this point, CJ says that he doesn't have anything to plug, but he actually does. He remembered something later. It is uh, SoundCloud.com backslash Never Ending Supply. It's CJ's uh, SoundCloud and. You should definitely listen to it. Real CJ Fleck. Follow him on uh, on Twitter, everyone, and uh, please come back soon. I'll hope to do that. All right, cool, man. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks.